a church, we make this our prayer this morning. Anything in our life that's quenching our appetite for you, we ask that you would show us what it is so that we could remove it or rearrange it so that we don't lose our hunger for the purest thing and the most important thing. And that is your heart and your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Would you guys, would you guys give a hand to the, to the worship team for leading us so powerfully? I know that not one of them is up here because they seek that applause, but it is a point of honor for us to be able to just recognize the time, the diligence, and the craft that they put into spending, creating this space for us to be able to connect with Jesus. Good morning again. Welcome. It's been a little, it's been a little while since, we've, since I've been in the round, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend myself dizzy. I'm so excited to, to be back in this setting. This feels a lot more like us uh, to, be, to be in the round. I want to do a couple things this morning before I begin. And If you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be spending time in, uh, in Genesis and uh, probably around 37, 36, I believe. Um, 37, that's what it was. Um, so if you want to open your Bibles, you can. But first, I want to I remind you and invite you to uh, something else that we have every other week. We have a second gathering for, for everyone to be able to come and worship and, and connect with the Lord. It's not right after this one. It's actually on, on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock. So every other Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, it's called Abide, and it's a time of worship, and it's a time of prayer. And, uh, and so we, w- we would love, absolutely love for you to be there with us as we set that aside as another point of connection for our community. And we're, we're trying as, diligent as we, uh, diligently as we can to create multiple points of connection for everyone, knowing that different schedules and different realities that we're in right now may keep us from different places. And so um, Sunday mornings we're gathering, and, uh, and then we will be, of course, continuing to highlight and remind you of community groups. We would love for everyone to be in a community group and creating those pockets of community, and then abide these nights on every other Wednesday night when we can simply set our time aside, pray, and worship together. Um, one other thing I would like to do um, is to pray for someone who is here this morning. Um, Anthony, could you stand up? Um, I realize now that I, I didn't talk to my camera crew about this, so hey, hey guys, um, it's okay. Uh, sorry about that. But Anthony is a missionary from Living Waters and he, uh, with an organization called Overland, and uh, he is on his way back on Thursday to Brazil. And um, so he is heading out to the mission field to tell people about Jesus, to spread the gospel, to see miracles and signs and wonders, and, uh, and just go to, the, to people who have not been reached. Their goal is to go to places and people who haven't been reached with the gospel. So eventually he's going to be on a boat on the Amazon River, um, just trekking out and encountering tribes and groups of people who, who don't have churches and don't have the gospel brought to them. So that's what Anthony's heart and, and life is devoted to and dedicated to right now. And so he's heading back down there on Thursday. We love Anthony. He's a son of this house. Uh, So would you extend your hands to him, toward him as we pray for him? Anthony, we do love you. And we ask God that you would fill his cup of relationship, of connection, of joy uh, in this time that he's had home, that he would be rested and renewed. Um, But really and truly that, that that cup being filled in this time would be 
an opportunity for his life to be laid down and poured out for you and for people who need to hear about you, Jesus. And so would you be with him, keep him safe, keep him healthy, keep him strong. Anthony, I declare over you and just speak over you that you would be a man who has that heart like Moses that says, God, I don't want to go. And, I, and Dane was, praying, was singing this over, this, this over us this morning, and that struck my heart. That you would have that heart that says, God, I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to leave my room. I don't want to leave this. I don't want to step off this boat. I don't want to go into the mission field that you have for me without your presence. And that you would be a man who continues to seek his presence every day. And that you would recognize it the moment that you begin to step out in your own strength and your own power. That you would be so reliant on him. Quiet and steady and reliant on him. That you would recognize it any moment that you go, I'm going to step forward but that you would only do it when you recognize that his presence is with you and going before you. Would you have great favor and great opportunities in Jesus' name to tell people about him and to see them come into that saving and life-giving knowledge of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Give him a hand. Uh, Feel free to connect with him afterwards. Um, and if you want to hear about what he's doing, I'm sure there's some, some websites or some cards that he can give you so that you can hear uh, about the adventures that he's on as he, as he shares Jesus with people. Um, so last week, Drew did a great job of introducing our series that we're in on the life of Joseph. Kate and I went away to pray in November to seek the Lord for this year. And one of the things that was highlighted to us was uh, the life of Joseph and how much it applies to this journey that we are all in right now. And uh, if you haven't had a chance to watch the message that Drew did last week, go ahead and catch up on that. The background and the family history leading up to Joseph. And really the background and the family history is the covenant that God made with Abram, who was his great, great grandfather. And in Genesis 12, God comes to him and makes a covenant with him, and it's, a, it's not a covenant of agreement where God says, hey, Abram, I'm going to do these things if you do these things. It's actually a one-way covenant where God says, on my honor and on my name, I'm going to do this thing. And I'm going to bless the nations through your seed and through your family. And from you is going to come great nations. And so, and I have a land that I've promised to you if you would go there and, um, or, or to, your, to be an inheritance. And so that was the promise that God gave to Joseph. And then he renewed, that was in Genesis 12. And then he renewed that promise to Jacob. And so Jacob was Abraham's uh, son and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his son and his grandson. And that was in, in Genesis 35. He renews that covenant with Jacob. And the, but the really, the story that we want to unpack from Genesis and from the life of Joseph is this, is that God is working within, within imperfect circumstances, within imperfect people, within things that aren't always going our way and aren't turning the way that we want them to, that God is always working out his purposes, his plans, and his promises in the midst of everything that is going on in and around our lives. And that's what we saw was God's faithfulness to the covenant that he spoke to Abram, the faithfulness to the covenant that he spoke to Jacob, is that he's saying, no matter what happens, I am faithful. And I'm going to see this purpose and my promises win out. And so as we turn to our key verse, and Drew mentioned this last week, 
But the key verse is Genesis 50, 20. And I don't want to go all the way through the story because we have several weeks that we're going to be studying this. But, but for those that have read ahead, uh, which I am hoping that you're doing, reading in Genesis, uh, this is a moment in Joseph's life where he has been betrayed. He has been uh, blackmailed. He has been left to rot in prison. He has been sold into slavery. All of these things have happened, and yet God, through every single one of them, was orchestrating something beautiful. And it came to a point where the people who caused his devastation, years and years and years of heartache and turmoil and separation from his family, the people who caused that were standing before him, and in that moment he had ultimate power over their lives. And he could have had them put to death, he could have had them punished, he could have done anything he wanted. And yet Joseph chose to forgive them. And this is what he said to them in, in Genesis 50, 20. You intended me harm, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So what we see in that promise is, the, is what we want to build up to in this series as we're looking over Joseph's life, believing that this reality that God is taking things that even are intended for harm and he is able to use them for his purposes and his, for his good. And what a joy and a word of encouragement that is to us in this season that we find ourselves around this room, every single one of us. We know what's happening to us corporately as a culture. We know the things that are going on around the world, but also in individually in your families and your marriages and your relationships with your kids and all of the different things that are going on, what an encouragement it is to remember that even though these things may be meant to harm or they're, they're, they're set against us, that God is doing something sovereign and powerful and that he is taking what is broken and he is weaving something beautiful out of it. And we need to remember this, this story of Joseph. We need to remember this reality as we're walking out our days, as we're walking out our journey ahead. So we have to understand, and I, and I make no, I don't deny this at all, that we are right now surrounded by so many situations, by so many circumstances, that we're surrounded by a culture in a world that is dead set against the way of Jesus. And the more that we follow it, the more impurity that we walk with Christ, the more we will be walking against culture, against what is the norm. And we understand that that is going on. And we understand that there's too many, too many things that are against us that we can even count into, that we can't categorize all the things that are against us and all of the enemies that are around us and surrounding us. And before you panic, I want you to hear me say this. That is the exact same thing that the Apostle Paul taught to every single one of his churches that he planted when he was a missionary 2,000 years ago, right at the beginning of this entire journey. There's so much against us. The world is against us. Culture is against us. Everything is against the way of Jesus. What we're experiencing is nothing new. There's a couple ways that you're going to process the world around you. One is that this is the end and that we're heading towards this, this direct confrontation and this showdown with culture. And the end is, is coming and we're going to be in this fight and we have to fight for what we 
get and all of that stuff. Or you're going to view this as the showdown was finished at the cross. And everything that we're doing now is simply walking out the victory of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus, and the gospel of Jesus. The way that you view what's happening right now is either an inevitable train wreck of an end. I look around this world, and I hate to say this and sound like like a, like a uh, someone who studies their Bible too much, but I look around the world and I see the way that people are responding to what's going on, and I boil it down to your eschatology, your basic view of the end times and what God is doing. If you believe that the end times is going to end with Armageddon and a giant war and a little church versus a giant culture that's trying to squash them, you're going to view everything through that lens, and everything you look at is going to be it's getting worse, it's deteriorating, culture is getting louder, the enemies are getting louder, evil is getting worse. It is not, in fact, getting worse. And I've said this before, so forgive me for preaching and repeating. But evil is not getting worse. Evil is finite. The only thing that is infinite is God. And he has dealt with evil once and for all in the showdown at the cross, and he has dealt with it. And so what we are experiencing is that evil feels like it's growing because it is being exposed. When evil is exposed, it feels like it's, there's more of it, correct? So when, as the church, as followers of Christ, when you recognize that evil is increasing around you and you're going, oh my goodness, it is everywhere. That is God's spirit revealing evil so that the church can wake up and carry the light and the remedy into and to confront that evil. It is spiritual, sure, but it's also very real and physical around us. We just have to understand how we're perceiving it and whether we're living from inevitable war and turmoil or already procured victory that we get to stand in. And so what I'm saying in looking at Joseph's life in Genesis 50, 20, is that what was intended for harm, God used for good. And so as we look around and say, yes, there's evil increasing all around us, I'm going to die on this thing right here. Um, it is evil. See? <laughs> that may have been a little bit too much flourish there. Sorry. Uh, what was I saying before I was tripping? Is that, that we're looking at all of this increasing, believing that as Joseph did, that what, God, what is intended to harm us and to confront us is actually God using, he's gonna use that for good. And the beautiful thing is this also, is that the more that you are pushed against, the more refined and reformed you are into his image. And it's not that we invite it and say, oh yeah, I want, to, I want hard times. No, but we understand that in hard times, we, something is developing of the life of Christ in us that we're able to stand in the fullness of who we are in Christ no matter what. And so we don't invite it, but we cannot grow without pushback. And it happens, it strengthens us, and, and God is always working. So let me just edit this for a minute because I went too far on that one single thing there. Okay, we're back on track. So this is the story of Joseph. Even when everything looks lost, God is at work. And the message that I wanted to bring today, it feels like this the, sort of a, a Father's Day message, actually, um, because the, the passage of Scripture that, it, that, that was assigned to me um, was this, this passage talking about Joseph's early years. And we love talking about fathers and the power of fathers, but I want you to see this in this passage. What the fathers favor over Joseph's life, how, what, how it forms him and how he responds to it. So join me in, in reading Genesis 37. It says this, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flock with his brothers, the son of Bilal and the son of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, which was Jacob, who's in the previous passage, his name had been, re, God had renamed him Israel, 
Uh, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him, the coat of many colors that many of us have heard about. Maybe even in high school you were in the play. Um, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers they, they hated him all the more, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Huh, what do you know? His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers, listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. So very significant in the imagery that this, that this dream has. Um, and, and, and when he had told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Well, we know the end of the story, and we're like, yeah, that's actually what's going to happen. But at this time, you're talking about a 17-year-old kid or a young man in that culture for sure. You're talking about a 17-year-old young man who's having these dreams that are upending what is expected and what is perceived as how the family line and inheritance and all of those things are going to play out. And they're pushing back against what Joseph had seen. His brothers, of course, were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in his mind and held it in his heart. So I want to look at this passage of Scripture and talk about a few things that his father's favor accomplished. His father's favor in verse 2, it gave him confidence to stand for what was right. It said that he recognized what his brothers was doing was wrong. He went and he, and he said, hey, this is what's going on. And of course, they hated him for it, but we know that Joseph was a man of great character. We see this over and over in his story, that when something wasn't right, he recognized it, and he called it out. And so his father's favor gave him the, the confidence to stand for what was right. How much do we need that right now, the father's favor that would empower us to stand for what is right? It also is the father's favor allowed him to be resolute when others tried to tear him down. In verse 3, you see that his brothers, are, and you'll see this repeated, is that they're going after him and they're trying to tear him down. And they're saying these, who do you think you are and what is this and what is that? They're trying to tear him down. But he had the Father's favor and the Father's favor instilled in him the confidence to be able to stand in the midst of tear, being torn down. How much do we need that right now? The Father's favor also in verse 5 through 7, it taught him confidence in the things that God was speaking to him. He had a dream and he believed it and he spoke it out and he didn't shy away from it. How much do we need that right now? The confidence in what God is speaking to us and that we're not going to stop dreaming and we're not going to shy away from the things that we know that God is putting on our heart and asking us to do. 
And the father's favor taught him confidence in the, uh, sorry, the father's favor also gave him the ability to stand when those around him hated him for what he believed and for who he was. When he got that coat of many colors and when they saw that the father's favor was upon him, they came after him brutally and he continued to stand in that favor. How much do we need that right now? How much do we need that to help us overcome the fear of man? To break that fear of disapproval, that people are going to somehow look down their noses at us or question us or disapprove of what we're doing. That we would say, no, we follow Jesus. And the way of Jesus, as I said earlier, is going to be contrary to what so many people want and so many people believe. Does the fear of man dictate that we, that we hush that down, that we minimize that? Or does the, and causes us to live in a different way. How much do we need that confidence that Joseph had? He said, no matter what around me, I'm going to continue to be confident and stand in this. Endure, oh, and then finally, the father's favorite instilled a confidence in him when Jacob rebuked him and the ability to receive that correction as a son. So we don't get to see that correction played out in the relationship with his father, but we do get to see it played out in the humility that Joseph exhibited throughout the rest of his life. The favor of a father allows us to receive discipline and rebuke and not to feel abandoned or rejected, but to actually be called up into our identity as sons and daughters. How much do we need that right now? So you see these things in Joseph's life that are so powerful. And these, this passage that we're studying this morning is so full of the result of the Father's favor on Joseph's life. And at Living Waters, we love to speak about the power of the Father. We love to speak about the influence of the Father, of fathers. We love to, to encourage fathers we love to understand the reality that, that a good father who favors us and pours into our life marks us powerfully and changes the future of our life. That we need that father in us to be able to teach us who we are, to be able to train us up in that reality. That's what we need in our life. And so when we talk about this and we understand how a father's favor poured out on us shifts things and establishes us, it is so powerful. Our lives are formed. And they are built around these basic needs that we have as people. And these basic needs are this. The need to feel unconditional expressed love. The, the need to feel secure and comforted. The need for praise and affirmation. The need for a purpose in life. And while we draw so much from our mothers, from the years about three on, we begin to draw those from our father. So that's why we celebrate fathers. That's why we love talking about fathers. The unconditional express love to have a father that looks at us without condition and will actually speak over us and not just go, oh, I, you knew I loved you because I grunted at you that one time over 17 years. Or you knew I loved you because I went out and got a paycheck even though I was a, 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 an emotional and spiritual zombie for your life. No, the need for a father who will look at us and say, I love you and I am proud of you and express it. We need that from a father. The need to feel secure and safe and comforted. We, we receive that from a father. And that's in that atmosphere of total acceptance. That no matter what you do, 
No matter what mistakes you make, no matter what you fail at or don't fail at, you are seen, you are loved, and you are welcome in my life. Not a father who says you have to hit the, t- you have to hit the top, you have to always make this measure, you always have to do these things. If you do, I will love you, and we make it an exchange of your performance for my affection, but actually a father who says, when you succeed and when you fail, I accept you, and I am with you, and I am for you. That does something in us. It marks us. That Father's favor instills a confidence in us, the need for praise and affirmation. That some of us who haven't received that will spend our entire lives trying to gain the approval of someone or anyone when, we ha- when the approval and the affirmation of a Father is withheld from us. These are basic needs that we have that we long for from a father and the need for a purpose in life. There's nothing more important that a father brings into a life than to be able to tell a child and raise up a son or a daughter who know who they are and will stand behind the purposes of their life, what they're created for and the dreams that they have. People who accomplish great things often have a father who stood beside them and behind them throughout their life, reminding them who they are and what they could do, that you can do anything. That's the power of a father's favor. That's what Joseph lived in. That's why the story that we're looking at of Joseph over the next however many years of him facing extreme trials, he was able to stay true to God and true to his family through all of them because of that father's favor. We love talking about that at this church. We love it in this community. But any time that we talk about it, the reality is this. Is that very, very, very few of us experience that in our life. And it begins to trigger things. It begins to hit on things. It begins to touch points of our life and our heart. Or fathers who have raised children, it begins to challenge us and say, have I failed? Have I not done that? And the questions come and and the deficits begin to be seen and the lack begins to be seen. And this is the other reason that we love talking about that here is because we believe that the greatest work of God is the restorative work that he does to the wounds that we receive from those around us. The lack and the deficits, the hurts and the wounds, the absences or the intentional hurt. That is, impo- that is put onto us by those that we looked at and trusted as a father, that those are not redeemed anywhere outside of God who has stepped in and said, though your, your human father and the fathers around you may have been imperfect, I want to come in with a true father's favor. And I want to show you what it's like to receive affirmation and love and support and to give you words and to give you dreams no matter what. And that in that love that we step into, the true love of a father, that restoration begins to happen. Otherwise, we will convince ourselves that we are okay to walk through our life with a deficit and carrying a father wound. And so a simple way we, we, we do frame it as a father wound. But what a father wound is when there is a deficit of these things that I mentioned that we need so much. A father wound can create a fear of trusting, a fear of rejection, a fear of abandonment, a fear of opening our heart to love. These kinds of things mark our existence if we don't recognize them and see them. I say it like this. If you had a broken arm and it wasn't set and you broke that arm and you just, you just carried it around and you were walking through a crowd 
and you were trying to make your way through that crowd, you would be protecting it through every encounter that you had with someone. You would be walking to make sure that it never got hit. And if someone did hit it, what would you do? You would lash out. You would be upset with yourself that you let it get hit, or you'd be upset with that person that they hit it. That's what it's like to walk around with some of these places of deficit. Let's not convince ourselves that it's okay to go through life just guarding the wounded places. And then every time they get hit by something that we have this huge reaction and that we're, we're, we're blaming ourselves or we're blaming others, let's convince ourselves that we have a good father who is safe, that we can bring these places to him no matter how far we are along life, that we can bring these places of deficit and woundedness to him. And experience the Father's, the true Father's favor that doesn't just teach us how to bind it up, but actually teaches us how to heal. He is a God who heals. He is a God who restores. He is a God who redeems. And I will tell you this. He is a God who takes what was intended to harm you. And only he can redeem that for his good and for his purposes. Only he can take a son who has a deficit and not just say, I'm going to, or a son or a daughter who has a deficit and not just say, I'm going to bring you back up to equal, but can actually say, I'm going to bring you back up to the full inheritance of Christ. He's not a God who just restores the woundedness back to even. He is a God who restores sons and daughters back to health and then back to inheritance. And it's a powerful thing to watch. This is why we love talking about this here. Not to point out wounds, but to point to a God who heals them, if we will, surrender them. Stop protecting them. Stop being shocked when something bumps them and you have this huge reaction. Stop being shocked when someone bumps them and it drives you into an internal place that you don't want to be or a secret place that you don't want to be. But actually say, God, there's something here. If I understand that the year, those formative years of having a father's favor over me is what brings me into health. You're a God who restores any lack that I might have experienced in my life. Because without realizing it, we're going to build walls around those wounds. And we're going to act out of pain toward others, at others, at ourselves. And we don't want that to be the case at all. The good news, as I've said, is this, that the greatest the place of greatest wounding in our life holds the potential for the greatest healing when we surrender those places to Jesus. So God's plan and his design and his heart has always been this, to place the lonely, the exiled, the scattered into a family. That's what he wants to do. So when we're hurting, when we feel that deficit, when we feel scattered and lonely and abandoned, what God is doing is he is moving to scoop us up and to pull us into his family. And in his family, we experience this healing that we so desperately long for. And I want you to know that it is yours. It is yours. It is for you, this healing that he has. John 1 tells us this, John 1, 12. But to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, that is the name of Jesus, for every one of us who has called on the name of Jesus and said, we believe in you, Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of blood, nor of the desire or will of man, but children who are born of God. So hear me on this. I would say this, that the definitive work of the Holy Spirit is to bring us in as sons and daughters to God. That's it. And, and I am a card-carrying Pentecostal charismatic, and I can tell you that the Pentecostals and the charismatics have got this wrong because they made the work of the Spirit about 
speaking in a prayer language or an, an emotional experience or uh, 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 even about healing and signs and wonders and all of those things that we fully love and we fully embrace and we fully pray for. But when we make it about those things and the expressions of the Spirit, we miss the very essence and core of the work of the Spirit. And I would say that the essence and the core of the Holy Spirit is to simply bring us into sonship and daughtership. To connect us to the Father that we would heal from the deficits that were inflicted on us by our human fathers no matter how hard they tried. And God, we bless them and we forgive them and we release them. We speak life over them. But they tried so hard and they failed. But the Spirit has come to bring you into family and to heal you and to heal you in such a way that your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids' kids get to experience something radically different than what you experienced. John 14, 18, Jesus said this, and he was speaking directly about the Holy Spirit. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This was directly after he promised the coming of the Holy Spirit, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What was the Holy Spirit coming to do? Not leave us as orphans. I will come to you. Galatians 4. You guys, many of you know this passage. But when the time had fully come, God went to the Son. Oh, sorry. Oh, that's right. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive our adoption as sons and daughters. And because we are his children, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. What is the spirit doing in our hearts? What did he send the spirit to do? That we would be able to look at him and cry out, Abba, Father, that that father relationship would be restored, that we would learn to live again under the father's favor. And we would begin to reflect the confidence that Joseph did in our life, that no matter who stands against us, that we will stand in who our father says we are. That no matter who comes after us or who doesn't believe our dreams or who doesn't believe the word that God has spoken to us, that we will stand in it because we experience the favor, the healing favor of a father who sent his spirit to come into us as sons and daughters that we would look at him and be able to say, Dad, Father. And that in that relationship that everything would be healed. Not like that, but through relationship. And through walking in that, in that back and forth of us surrendering more and more of our hurts and our fears and our wounds. And opening ourselves up to him. And allowing his spirit to do the deeper work of restoration that he wants to do in our lives. I want to share a couple verses with you guys and a couple thoughts just to finish out as we minister for a couple minutes. It's impossible to do it justice to be able to sit up here for 30 minutes and say, hey, let's talk about family wounds and family and, and father stuff, right? Like, we want this to be our constant and ongoing conversation of this house that we're always sharing and talking and celebrating fathers, 
fathers who are doing it well and are trying to do it well and are, and are, and are pouring out this kind of favor on their kids or fathers who have gone ahead of us and have, have shown us what a life of that kind of favor looks like, that we would honor them and celebrate them, but that we would also have this ongoing conversation about the hurts and the shortages and the things that have happened to us and that we would not create a Christian environment where it's like, oh, everything is, is fine. It's all fine. Let's just brush it under the carpet and keep memorizing verses. Let's just brush it under the carpet and keep coming to church and punching your attendance card. Like that doesn't get us into the health. It doesn't get us into the vibrancy. It doesn't get us into the reality of the life of Christ that we want to experience. But what does is when we surrender first to Jesus and then we fully surrender our hearts and our stories to Jesus and we're willing to walk in the openness and the reality of what has affected us and what our story is and then inviting him into that story and the redemptive work of Christ is so powerful that as you invite him into that story, he will meet you in places and memories and moments that you thought were so far gone and forgotten that they would never have to be even looked at again. But he wants to meet you in those places because whether you like it or not or whether you admit it or not, they're still impacting the choices and the way that you're living your life. So we encourage this reality to say he is a healer and he is at work and he is standing at the story, the door of your story, and he's inviting you not just into a better future, but he's inviting you to experience a redeemed past. And so as much as you can imagine walking forward with Jesus, I want you to imagine walking backward with Jesus because the true health that you're longing for in the future is actually going to be found in the healing that he does in your past. So I want you to hear this as we close. God knew you before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb. Hear this. We're talking about fathers. We're talking about families. We're talking about God. But know that God knew you before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb. He loved you then. He loves you now. There has never been a moment in time when he hasn't loved you with the entirety of himself. And there's never been a moment in time when he hasn't been reaching out to you, desiring to protect you, to go before you, to show his grace to you, and to heal you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I also want you to hear this. You have never been alone, and you are not an accident. You have never been alone, and you are not an accident. Our Father created you and formed you in your mother's womb, and he was there at the moment of your birth, ready to draw you into his arms, and his thoughts toward you are filled with pleasure. Yet you are he who did bring me from the womb, you made me trust when I was still being nursed by my mother. Upon you, I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. <laughs> I want you to hear this too. Although you may feel as though you've been emotionally rejected, abandoned, orphaned by your parents, God does not want to leave you in that condition. He does not leave you in that condition. Even if you feel too wounded to come to him, here's the beauty of our God, is that he will come to you. For my father 
and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. A father to the fatherless. God makes a home for the lonely, and he says to us, as I said earlier, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And for those that are saying, I've, I've, I've wrestled with this wound or this deficit or whatever it may be, I want to be totally healed right now. I want you to hear this. There may always be a scar, but you don't have to walk in the woundedness anymore. But you don't have to also race against a clock. You don't have to feel like, I should already be. I don't have time for that sentence. All I have is the surrender for today. You're not racing against a preferred future, a preferred version of yourself. You're simply racing to surrender. And however the Holy Spirit chooses to heal you at whatever pace he chooses to heal you, that is his work. That is not your timetable to lay on him. Because when you lay timetables on God, you end up living in disappointment and frustration and when you're drinking from wells of disappointment and frustration, it's not long until it's taken over every aspect of your personality. So what we will do is we will leave the timetable for healing to God and we will set our hearts on him and say, come and do the work the way that you want to. Because you might be surprised the healing you desire, if he gave it to you tomorrow, could it absolutely devastate your life. You may not be ready. You may not be ready. And if he is building a strength in you to be able to walk in the fullness that he has, then let him build that strength. Stay with him. And let's not be so concerned. And listen. <laughs> Paul had it this way. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thing away from me. He was being inflicted. And he said, God, take it away. God, take it away. God, take it away. But he said to me, and before I read this verse, I'm, I'm done after this. One thing I want to say. You may be frustrated that you're still walking through healing. I, get, I extend grace to you, and I invite you just to continue to pursue him. But you may also be looking back at your life and saying, I think I failed. As a father, I think I failed. I think I've fallen short. I want you to hear this. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest on me. That is why, for the sake of Christ, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Do you want your father wound healed? Absolutely. Does it create a weakness and a deficit that you can't turn away from? Absolutely. What what happens when you surrender that weakness to God? He says, my grace is sufficient for you even in weakness. My power is made perfect in that place. And so, yes, we want it to be done yesterday, but it's not. So what do we do? We give it to him and we expect his grace and his power to be made manifest. Yes, we fail as fathers. Yes, we fail as mothers. Yes, we carry a broken heritage in our family and those things get reproduced. Sure, but it is in that place of saying, this is my weakness, this is my failure. God, I give it to you. Let your grace show up in my weakness. Let your power be made perfect in my failure. And let me own my mistakes so I can walk back into those relationships, carrying as a son or as a daughter, carrying the Father's favor. And say, forgive me, I failed, let me try again. He will meet you in that place. And he will meet us in that place. God, let your favor rest on us as sons and daughters. Let your healing extend right now to my friends in this room and my friends watching this, wherever they're watching this, let your healing extend to them right now. That those places 
of deficit, those places where we feel like the wounds that we're carrying are still affecting us today, that instead of trying to hide them or trying to heal them ourselves, we would bring them to you and say, this is my weakness, this is my mistake, this is my hurt. Let your grace show up in this place. Let my weakness be an invitation for your, for your spirit to bring healing. He will not leave you as orphaned. He will come to you. He has come to you. And he will continually come to those places that you make available to him. Amen? Amen. Awesome. So there you go. Uh, go Niners. Um, hey. <laughs> We, uh, we love you guys. We thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You are free to go. Uh, enjoy your Sunday afternoon. If you would like to reach out to someone to talk about some of the things that I touched on today and you're like, I need help processing some of that stuff, please go to our website. Check out Soul Care. There's people that would love to meet with you and pray with you to process some of the things that I stirred up today. All right? Love you guys.